growing in God's Word, and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. God wants us to get this. This is going to be something that's unlike anything that we can even comprehend. Say the word eternity, and what do you think of? Floating around on a cloud, strumming a harp? While the Bible may not tell us everything about what eternity will be like, it does tell us enough to know that it's going to be simply amazing. Everybody knows life is tough at times. Life can beat you up. Life can at times almost feel like it just chews you up and spits you out. Can anybody identify with that? God says you are an overcomer. And you and I may wait for eternity for the culmination of being an overcomer, but we can live in the reality of being an overcomer right now in our lives, in the victory that's been obtained for us through Christ Jesus. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. After the tribulation period, the battle of Armageddon, and the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, what then? Well, today in our year-long study of the book of Revelation, we come to the last section of the book describing what it will be like in eternity. That is the world in which we live. It is a world of pain and suffering and heartache and hurt. And God's Word says, I am going to purge every bit of it. Chapters 21 and 22 are filled with the beautiful description of the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. The sin curses through as God makes all things new. What a day, glorious day that will be. It's quite a scene, and today as Pastor Clay takes us through the first eight verses of chapter 21, we find out what's not going to be there, who's not going to be there, and most importantly, who is going to be there. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's encouraging message. We're moving into really the last section of the book of Revelation. Chapters 21 and 22 uh, compose the last section of the book of Revelation. In, in chapters 1 through 3, those particular chapters were written to the church, to the church age, to uh, those of us past, present, and future who are part of the church, the body of Christ. And in that, those first three chapters, uh, Christ gives his challenge to the church and what his expectations are for our lives. And they are great. In chapter 4, he gives us, I believe, the rapture or the snatching up of the church uh, to to be present with the Lord, as uh, Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's the taking out of the church at the end of that age. Also in chapter 4 is this beautiful uh, scene in heaven. Chapters 5 through 18 then are, uh, which obviously make up the largest portion of the book of Revelation. Chapters 5 through 18 cover the various judgments that are going to transpire during the uh, period of time that's known as the tribulation period, seven-year, literal seven years here on earth. In chapter 19, uh, God begins to wrap this whole thing up as uh, Christ comes back uh, with his army. That's us. That was an exciting part. Christ comes back. He defeats uh, and destroys the Antichrist, uh, who's also known as the beast. Uh, he destroys his false prophet, and he destroys the Antichrist's army at the Battle of Armageddon. Then we find out that Satan is bound and that he is thrown into the abyss for a thousand years. I believe a literal thousand years. Christ also establishes a kingdom here on earth, an earthly kingdom that will last for that same period of time. 
But also in chapter 20, in the latter part of chapter 20, we find out that, that Satan is released from the abyss for a short period of time so that, that he can, can go out and can have his influence and could, could, uh, could offer people, quite honestly, the opportunity to respond at how, however they would, they would do based on where their hearts are. In other words, after that thousand-year period of time, people are going to have an opportunity to choose to follow Christ because they want to and not because they have to. During the thousand-year reign of Christ, Jesus will be on his throne. There will be no question about that. As, as various places in the Bible tell us, he will rule them with a rod of iron. And I said then it doesn't mean cruelly, it doesn't mean harshly, but it does mean... Uh, Justly, It does mean that there'll be no question as to who's in control. But at the end of that period of time, the people living then will have to make a choice, just like you and I have to make a choice, to follow our rebellious heart and reject God or to bend our hearts and wills to God and receive Christ as our Savior. Also in that latter part of chapter 20 uh, is that awesome scene of what's uh, known as the great white throne judgment, that time period when, as I understand it, every person who has ever lived, past, present, or future, that rejects God, not believers, okay, great white throne judgment, not believers, every person who's ever lived, past, present, or future, will be resurrected bodily, will stand before God, and they will be judged. As I said then, and you may want to go back and listen to that message, as I said then, uh, it's not going to be a good time for anybody. No one is going to want to be at the great white throne judgment. It doesn't end well for anybody at the great white throne judgment. But God, being a just God, will dispense his judgment justly. And so I believe, as as many uh, believe, that there will be a, a varying severity to the judgment that God brings, but that each person will be dealt with justly and in accordance with the knowledge that they've had and what they've done with that knowledge and their and the rejection of a relationship with God. And so then, uh, the uh, the the godless, those who rejected God, them having been dealt, we move into chapter twenty one and chapter twenty two, which basically deal with eternity with our home, those who are followers of Christ, those who have given their lives to him. Chapters 21 and 22 give us uh, a picture, not a complete picture, not probably, probably doesn't answer every question that we would have, but it gives us a picture of what eternity will be like. And we're going to begin this morning uh, looking at that particular section in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write. 
for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, unbelieving, and abominable, and murderers, and immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. A lot here, obviously, in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. We're going to kind of jump into this uh, thing here. And as we do, I want to kind of call your attention to the fact that there are, uh, there, there, there are three aspects of eternity that show up here in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. And, and Lord willing, we're going to get through uh, all of these this morning. Um, but the first one that we see this morning in, in Revelation chapter 20, the first aspect of eternity that I want, want you to take notice of is the presence of God in verses 1 through 3. The presence of God. Uh, now, John starts out, and the first thing that he, that he says in these opening uh, verses is that he sees a new heaven and a new earth. New heaven. New earth. Now, I'll be honest with you, scholars are kind of divided on this. They're kind of divided on whether this new heaven and new earth is a totally new uh, creation or whether it is a remake of the old elements. Uh, To use uh, HGTV uh, terminology, is this new construction or reno? Quite honestly, I don't know that it makes much difference, but what is clear is that this current earth, the current heavens and earth, will be done away with. We saw that uh, really two weeks ago in Revelation chapter 20, or three weeks ago, whatever it was, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, where we saw this verse that said, and I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence, here it is, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. There's this implication that, that the earth will just, that, that the makeup, the elements that we see will, will disappear at the end of time. And I also mentioned when we looked at that verse that this, it almost certainly is connected to Peter's prophecy in Second Peter chapter 3 where it said, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. I I, I love... I love Peter. He's such a practical guy. You know, he gives this prophecy and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And while he's at it, he says, as long as I'm giving it to you, I might as well give you some application. And he says, now, since all this stuff is going away, right? All this stuff, all the stuff that we consider so valuable, all the stuff that we can't live without, all the stuff that we want, and, and we all have those things. Uh, but Peter says, listen, since all that stuff is going away anyway, what, what, what manner of people ought we to be? In other words, what, what really ought to be the focus of our life? Shouldn't it be more on the things that are eternal and less on the things that are absolutely temporal passing away? So he just kind of throws that in there. But this, this promise of, of the destruction of this current earth and, and heaven is found 
numerous places in Scripture. In the 102nd Psalm, we find this. uh, Of old, you found it, the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be changed. In uh, Isaiah chapter 51, Isaiah writes this. Lift up your eyes to the sky, then look to the earth beneath, for the sky will vanish like smoke and the earth will wear out like a garment. Jesus himself, Mark chapter 13 and and verse uh, 31 said this, said, said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. It's the promise of God of the removal of this current earth. And the sin curse, and, and we'll get into all that in, in heaven. By, by the way, Isaiah also mentions the promise of this new heaven and new earth. In Isaiah 66, it says, For just as the new heavens and the new earth which I make will endure before me. There it is. This, this new heaven, this new earth, they're going to endure before me, declares the Lord. So your offspring and your name will endure. It is this, this realization that you and I need to live, with, live in, and that is that this, this isn't going to be here forever and so this really isn't where our focus should be and and then also in these opening verses uh there i guess in uh in the verse one or two he mentions that uh there shall be no sea there's no longer any sea and, and quite honestly that's caused a little trouble for some people especially fishermen I, i've i've discovered Paul probably doesn't. He's a fisherman. He probably doesn't like that. No longer any sea. It's caused some disturbances uh, for people. Listen, remember this. No sea doesn't mean no water. In John's day, uh, the sea uh, was, uh, was a symbol of, of danger. Uh, it was a symbol of loss. It was a symbol, uh, I mean, quite, I don't mean just symbolic. I mean, it quite literally was, was a place of separation. Even today, in our time, what, what is it? Three-fourths, two-thirds, whatever of our, of our earth's surface is covered with, with water. But apparently it won't be like that in the new heavens and the new earth. L- listen, I can, still, uh, I can still imagine beautiful bodies of water uh, that will still be there to appreciate and to enjoy. But no longer will there be vast expanses of ocean that separate us from one another as people all over the world. Plus, quite honestly, there'll just be more earth for us to enjoy. So I wouldn't sweat that whole no more seas thing if I were you. But all that's, you know, that first part of this first two verses, but the real focus comes in verse 3. And here's what it says in verse 3. It says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. Watch this. And he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. I, I, don't, I don't even know that it's possible for our minds to grasp the implication of what it will mean to be in the presence of God for all of eternity. I, I was thinking about that this week and I was trying to think, man, how, how, do you, how, how, do you, how can you illustrate that? How can you begin to even, even think about that? And, and just nothing that you say can begin to compare with the very thought that God that I, that is in my very presence. I'm in the very presence of God. Certainly in, in our lives... Um, there, are, there, there is this sense that if I'm, a, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God dwells within me, and so I'm in the presence of God in that sense. Uh, 
And there have probably been times in your life, and there have been times in my life, when, when the presence of God just seemed particularly close. Do you know what I'm talking about? You just felt, man, I, God is here, and I know it. But in eternity, that presence of God will be literal, and it will be eternal. It will be continual throughout all of eternity. By the way, uh, this is, um, if I can't write, this is the 21st time, I believe, that uh, there's a reference to a loud voice uh, or, or a, a, a loud command uh, coming from heaven. This is the last one. And, and I believe it brings the greatest news of all, the presence of God. In that one verse there, in that one verse, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Man, John wants us to get this. God wants us to get this. This is going to be something that's unlike anything that we can even comprehend. It's the very presence of God, and that'll be good. Um, There's a second aspect of, of eternity There's the presence of God, uh, but also here in Revelation chapter 21, we find the purging of God. And it looks like this in verses 4 and 5. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. And there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. I I really, I kind of chuckle every time I read that, because in my mind, and this is probably not the way it was, but in my mind when when God has, it's almost like John has gotten so caught up in this scene, so caught up with the very idea. Maybe he's just still hanging back on that idea of the presence of God. And it's almost like God has said, Hey, write, write it down. These words are faithful and true. Contained within Merriam-Webster's dictionary of purge is this. To make free of something unwanted to get rid of. And that is certainly what God is going to do. To purge the earth of everything that is destructive and painful. You can imagine that? Now, some people have uh, wondered, uh, and I've thought about it myself as well, and I know people have asked me uh, where it says here that God's going to wipe away every tear. So does that mean that there will be tears initially when we go into eternity? Will there be crying? Will there be mourning for some reason as we go into eternity? No, I don't really don't think so. The context here is dealing with the fact that God is removing the things that cause tears in our life. It's dealing with the fact that all of the things that cause the pain and the heartache and the suffering and the mourning and the loss and, the, and all the stuff that stuff brings, that all, God is going to purge all of those things from our lives for all of eternity. They will no longer be a concern and there'll be no more need for tears because all the things that brought tears into our lives will be gone. Gone. Yeah. I'd <laughs> say amen to that too. Most of you know that uh, Cindy and I had to catch a plane uh, last Saturday afternoon, uh, suddenly, when uh, I received a call uh, from a family of a young lady that was in our youth ministry in Tennessee, in Middle Tennessee, uh, years ago when we were serving up there. 
she died uh, Friday morning, Jaina did, of ovarian cancer. Uh, I, I went into some, in the funeral, I was just talked some about, because my memories of Jaina were, were when she was in youth, and, and Jaina was like, she was the, the ideal, BJ, she was the ideal uh, youth group member. She was like every student pastor's dream youth group member. Because uh, she just, she loved Jesus. And she didn't just love Jesus, she wanted other people to love Jesus. I mean, she really wanted to help other people understand what it meant to follow Jesus. When she died, uh, she was a wife, mother of a nine-year-old girl and three-and-a-half-year-old twins. When Chip, her husband, called me on that Thursday to tell me Jana's condition and to ask me if uh, I would be willing to come up and, and do the funeral. And, and you know this. You, you've probably had some of these conversations with somebody uh, before, perhaps. But the pain in his voice, I, I, didn't have to, I didn't have to be there at that moment. I didn't have to see it. The pain in his voice showed the tears that were on his face. It's the tears of life. Cindy's mother uh, died of cancer when she was 59. My dad died of pancreatic cancer when he was 73. People that you've known and loved have died. And more are going to die. And tears have been shed. And more tears will be shed. That is the world in which we live. It is a world of pain and suffering and heartache and hurt. And God's word says, I am going to purge every bit of it from your lives. For all of eternity. Can I, just, can I just encourage you this morning with the word of God? Can I just encourage you with, with some of this? Isaiah chapter 25 verse 8 says this. He will swallow up death for all time. Man, I could just park there for a couple of days. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces and he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Romans chapter 8, that great theological treatise, Apostle Paul writes, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And then in uh, 1 Corinthians, I love 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and uh, uh, verse 54 where Paul says, Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Would you say it with me? Death is swallowed up in victory. It's the purging of God. And it's part of eternity that God promises to us. Now, uh, let's get to the, to the third one, I guess. The third element of eternity. Man, to be in the very presence of God. How unbelievable that's going to be. And the thought that everything's going to be purged from this earth that, that has ever caused pain and heartache and hurt and suffering and mourning and loss and, and, and all that. It's gone. It's purged. It's no more. The last part of eternity here, in, at least in 1 Corinthians 21, uh, 1 through 8, is the promise of God. And uh, it's in uh, verses 6 through 8. Then he said to me, he's now, now he comes to verse 8. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. 
He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I, I just I absolutely love the fact that this this section of chapter 21 uh, starts out with this declarative statement, it is done. Sounds very similar to the statement Jesus made on the cross, doesn't it? When he, when he declared, it is finished. Here, now at the very end, he says, it is done. Now, when John penned those words, it was still a future event that he could look forward to. And it is still for us today, right? We're still looking forward to the fulfillment of that part of God's promise. But as far as God's concerned, it's already a done deal. God could go ahead and say, it is done. And you know why? He 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 gives us the answer right there. Because I am the Alpha and the Omega. Some of you probably know, in the Greek language, that's the first and the last letters of the the Greek language. In in Greek culture, that was was a way of John saying, he's all-encompassing. And he adds, he's the beginning and the end. Not that God has a beginning or an end, but that everything begins and ends in God. Every bit of it. So, he could say, it's done. Oh, it's still a future event. It's still going to happen. But I'm telling you, on the authority of my word, it is done. And so, we can just, we can just mark down the promise of God. Now, the promise of God uh, here in, in this chapter basically breaks down into three parts. The first part is the invitation. In, uh, in verse 6 there, I guess it says, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. It's the invitation of God. The very idea that God is still here at the end of the book, knowing that through the ages men and women would be reading this this word. He's still offering this invitation. He's still putting it out there and throwing it out there and saying that if you'll come to me, I'll give you from this spring of the water of life and I'll give it to you without cost. It's an open invitation. It's an invitation I took him up on many years ago when I wasn't, wasn't looking for God wasn't living for God, and quite honestly, probably wasn't much interested in God. And God, through a, a, a whole series of circumstances, reached out to me, and I don't have time to do it all before and I, today, and I've, I've talked about it some before, but, but in essence, what God was doing, God was inviting me to join Him. God was inviting me to not waste my life. God was inviting me to partake in the great adventure of, of living to bring glory to His name. And for the eternal good of others. God was inviting me to receive forgiveness for my transgressions against him and to receive a pardon. God was inviting me to be adopted into the family of God if I would receive his finished work on the cross by faith. God was inviting me. In essence, many years ago, I drank from the spring of the water of life. And my life has never been the same. Many of you in this room have responded to that invitation. But has everybody? Because I said that there were three parts to the promise of God. The first one was the invitation. 
The invitation that he continues to extend to any and to all who would come to him and drink from that spring of the water of life. But there's a second part of the promise. And the second part of the promise is the expectation that he gives us in Revelation chapter 21. Uh, Look at this. It it says, uh, he who overcomes, he who overcomes shall inherit these things. All these things I've just talked about, all these things that you've just read about, all these things that have just been described to you, he who overcomes shall inherit these things and I will be his God and he will be my son, the sons and daughters of God to he who overcomes. Boy, that was a, a John in the book of Revelation, love to write about the overcomers. I, I don't know if, if, you've, if you've caught that, uh, especially in the early parts of the book of Revelation, but, uh, but just look at just a, a few of these references. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Revelation chapter 2, verse 11. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. Revelation chapter 2, verse 26. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Is this good? Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments and I will not erase his name from the book of life and I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will not go out from it anymore. Why? Because we've just seen we're in his presence continually. And I will write on him the name of my God, and on the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, woe, and that I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Does this just get better and better or what, folks? Does this just get better and better or what? To he who overcomes. Somebody might say, well, that that sure sounds great. I, I sure hope I can overcome. I got some bad news for you. You can't. You can't overcome. There's nothing in you that can overcome your sin. There's nothing in you that can overcome the enemy. Uh, But wait a minute. I got some great news for you. You don't have to. It's been done for you. Here's how John explains in another one of his letters. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. You are from God. Those who have given their life to Jesus Christ. You are from God, little children. And what? Say it have overcome, have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Present continuous tense, you have overcome. First uh, John chapter five, verse four, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our 
faith. And then finally summarize it up in 1 John 5, 5. Who is the one who overcomes the world? Here it is. Who's the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That is the expectation to those of us who have overcome. Not because of anything within ourselves, not because of any good, not because of any works, not because of anything, but because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you and I are overcomers. And I say are current present tense. Because we don't have to wait for heaven to get this, folks. Listen, everybody knows life is tough at times. Life can beat you up. Life can at times almost feel like it just chews you up and spits you out. Can anybody identify with that? But God says you are an overcomer because greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. And you and I may wait for eternity for the culmination of of being an overcomer, but we can live in the reality of being an overcomer right now in our lives, in the victory that's been obtained for us through Christ Jesus. Uh, Some of you know... I know I've mentioned this before, and it's just on my mind a lot. Some of you know I'm, I'm writing a book, and, and the book is, is about this very subject matter. It's about this idea of overcoming and receiving all these promises that God says in his word that we can have, of peace and fulfillment and contentment and purpose and meaning and, and, and strength and power and peace, all those things, we can have them all in our lives. Now, to figure out how to do that, you gotta, you got to wait and buy the book. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, just kidding. No. I want people to get it folks i want you to understand if you're in christ jesus you already are an overcomer live in the reality of that power live with the knowledge that god has already brought you victory into your life it's an expectation that we can look forward to and it will be a realization in eternity now one more uh, the last part of the promise i can't you can't leave it out you can't escape it There is an invitation and there's an expectation for us in this life and in eternity. But there is also a condemnation that's there in that promise that that Christ gives at the end. It says this, But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. a couple of weeks ago, we talked a lot about the lake of fire and all, of the, all that goes uh, with that. This is the last place in Scripture that it's mentioned. But isn't it interesting that even here at the end, God's still saying, He's still warning people, listen, if you reject me, this is what your eternity looks like. Now, I don't know that verse 8 is meant to be exhaustive. I don't think it's meant to cover every sin that, that uh, the, the, the sins are listed there are the people that end up in hell. I don't, it's, 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 it's any person that's separated from God, we know that. Nor do I think that, that verse 8 is saying that any person that's ever lied or, or, or ever been a murderer or, or whatever, that that person cannot be forgiven. Ed Heinsohn, I came across this quote, I thought he put it well. Ed Heinsohn said, Uh, This This is not to say that those who have ever committed these sins cannot be saved, but that those who continue to do so give evidence of an unrepented and unconverted heart. God's warning is to those that are in a lifestyle that is contrary to his. And it certainly sends a message to us, ladies and gentlemen. We may say, well, I know I'm saved. I'm in a relationship with God, so I don't have to worry about that. But it certainly sends a message to us that there's an expectation in having come to Christ. There's an expectation that there's a a different standard of life. There's a different standard of holiness 
that, that God has for our lives, regardless of what we may personally think or prefer, or regardless of what the world may say is acceptable. God says, those who, who actively engage in practices that are contrary to my will, their place is the lake of fire. It's condemnation. I uh, was reading last week this article about uh, the growing uh, movement of atheism um, in, in the Western culture, certainly in the United States, the Western culture. And I was just talking about uh, how more and more uh, atheistic groups are promoting the idea of walking away from belief, if you ever had any, walking away from faith and, and all that kind of stuff. And I, a few excerpts from the article that I, I wanted to read to you. Uh, the first one said this, the American atheists have come up with a billboard ad to run in New York City. You know, they do this every year around Christmas, which is ironic that they do it around a holiday they don't believe in. But American atheists have come up with a billboard ad to run in the New York City area featuring a nativity scene which reads, you know it's a myth. This season, celebrate reason. According to the New York Times, the idea of the campaign is to reach people who might go to church but are just going through the motions. David Silverman, the president of American Atheists, is quoted as saying, we're going after that market share. Here's another excerpt from it. The Freedom From Religious Foundation, based in Madison, Wisconsin, has come up with what it calls the Out of the Closet Campaign. In a dozen or so cities, billboards will feature regular folks proudly declaring their unbelief. One will feature a young woman named Katie holding a plate of cookies, wearing a godless goddess t-shirt with the quote, I like baking, biking, and sleeping in on Sundays. Listen, uh, we're not just talking about disbelief in God. I'm telling you, folks, we're talking about the very mocking of the very name of God that God will not endure forever. One more thing from it. Uh, Bus ads by the United Coalition of Reason read, Don't believe in God? Join the club. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know. Maybe everybody here is a believer. Maybe somebody's on the fence. Maybe he's uncertain. Maybe somebody's rejected him. But I'm telling you right now, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you on the authority of God's word, that's a club you don't want to belong to. Because the dues to belong to that club are far too high. Because the dues to belong to that club will cost you your eternity in a place called the lake of fire. And removal from the very presence of God. But, but, for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, who have given their lives to him, and are seeking His will for their life. We've committed. We've, there's no turning back. We've signed on the dotted line in His blood. The promises of an eternity with a new heaven and a new earth in the very presence of God. So, big picture biblical principle quite simply is this. The sin curses through as God makes all things new. What a day. Glorious day that will be. What an exciting thought. The sin curse is through as God makes all things new. It's hard to imagine a world with no pain and suffering, no death or tears. But the Bible promises that's exactly what eternity will be. 
In the world in which we now live, loss is a part of life. Maybe you've had to say goodbye to someone you cared about and you've shed tears and mourning. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, death is swallowed up in victory. Followers of Jesus are overcomers and eternity will be our home. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.